As long as I've been a youth pastor, going on four years now, and I was a youth pastor of sorts at the last church that I worked at, as long as I've been a youth pastor, there is one type of meeting that I've yet to have with a teenager. I've never had this meeting. A life is good meeting. You know what I mean? This isn't to throw shade on teenagers because none of us ever meet with anybody to have a life is good meeting, right? We meet with people to let them know that life is bad. Help if you can, right? That's all of us. If my life's going good, Pastor Sid doesn't need to know about it. Dylan doesn't need to know about it. Eli, David, Ty. No, I just, just, I just keep to myself. Life, life is good. So I, I've never had a, a teen meet with me and say, oh, you know, Brother Tanner, I, I, can I just meet with you after school today? Meet you in your office. I, I just got some things I, I got to talk to you about. Number one, right now, Brother Tanner, God is just blessing my family. God's hand is just, he's just working things out in my family. He's blessing my grades. He's blessing my friendships. He's blessing my sport. He gave me a girlfriend or or a boyfriend. And and man, they just love the Bible and the Lord so much. God's just blessing right now. Pastor Tanner, I'm I'm just blessed and I am enjoying it. Now, that would be a great meeting to have, right? That'd be a great meeting to have. But meetings with teenagers and people in general are typically opposite, right? We typically only schedule meetings with people for spiritual encouragement when life is not going so good. Should this type of meeting ever happen with a teenager, and I hope it does, should it ever happen, I would rejoice in the blessings, but I would also offer a warning. Warning. Why a warning? I would offer a warning because there is a subtle danger, a subtle danger that can creep in when we are enjoying a blessed life given to us by God. There's a danger that can creep in when times are good. Let's look at a warning that Moses gave to Israel before entering the promised land. Turn to Deuteronomy 8 with me if you would. Again, I, I am just loving the book of Deuteronomy right now. If you're reading through Deuteronomy in our Bible reading plan, then, then you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's an amazing book. It, 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 is, it is Old Testament. It is Pentateuch. It is technically under the, the, the law heading. But the, the book of Deuteronomy can help you become a better Christian. The book of Deuteronomy can help you be a better parent. Better follow of Christ, for sure. We talked on Wednesday night from Deuteronomy chapter 3. God's people are getting ever so close to the land. And there's still some things that God is prepping them for. Let's read Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. It says, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. 
And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wast keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Does that verse sound familiar? Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son... So the Lord chasteneth thee. The first thing that we notice tonight from this text is this. God humbles his people in order to teach them to rely on him and his word and prepare them for even greater blessings. God humbles his people in order to teach them to rely on him and his word and to prepare them for even greater blessings. Blessings. God was testing his people in the wilderness here. He was exposing their hearts. He was trying to see if they would follow him, love him, listen to him, and keep his commandments before setting them loose in a promised land that was going to be very comfortable. They're wandering around in a wilderness. There's no established home. When the cloud moves by day, they move. When the fire moves by night, they move. They are unsettled. They are weary in this land. God is feeding them every single day with the exact same meal. They're wearing the exact same clothes and the exact same pair of shoes. Why is God doing all of this? To humble them. To prove them. To test them. To see, will you trust me now in this wilderness? And if I can trust you to trust me now in this wilderness, I'll let you go into the land. He's proving their heart. Will you obey me or will you not? You see, it should be easy for the Israelites to obey God in the promised land if they'll obey him in the wilderness. He's testing them. My in-laws are in town. They're thinking about getting into kayaking. Is anyone a kayaker? Do we, we don't kayak here, do we? Mead Lake. Does anyone kayak on Mead Lake? David, you talked about wanting to kayak on Mead Lake, didn't you? Change his mind. <laughs> so so they, they tell us this story, this really cool story about uh, he, he's, a, he's the owner of uh, a couple of tiny home uh, parks in northwest Arkansas, and they're really, really awesome properties and the first property is the first property that you developed right where the the people that are a person that lives there they have kayaks and and they were just going to take them to the uh, goodwill or donation and get, get rid of them and and they've been talking about kayaking for uh, a, a couple of years now and he pulls up on the property and do you know anyone who wants them yeah we'll take them so now they have two free kayaks he said they need a little bit of work, and, and what they're going to do is they're going to take those kayaks out and, and just see if they like to kayak before upgrading to better kayaks. They're going to test them. They're going to prove them. That, that's kind of the idea that we have here. 
Their wanderings in the wilderness are God testing their faith. It's a proving ground of sorts for their faith in God. What exactly was he trying to teach them though? A few things. He was trying to teach them to rely on him and his word. Do you notice what he said? That's probably the one verse in there that we're all familiar with. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Where do we know that from? We know that because Jesus quoted that right in Satan's face. He said, you say you're the son of God, take these stones, turn them into bread. He says, no, why? Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. If he won't give me bread, he'll give me his word. Oh, that's so good. Where did Jesus get that from? Right here in Deuteronomy 8. He's proving them, testing to see if they'll rely on him and his word. He's seeing, can they trust me to provide their food and clothing? Can they trust me in this land? That's what's going on here. Before we move on in the text, we need to understand something. God sometimes humbles us to teach us. And prepare us. My senior year of Bible college. I just thought for sure. I'd get out of Bible college. I'd go to some good sized church. And bless God I'd make a difference for the world. That didn't happen. No, graduation day's coming. And I still have nowhere to go. I don't want to stay in Oklahoma City. I don't want to keep working at Home Depot. I don't want to stay in apartment C-19 at Council Crossing. I want to go into ministry. And the Lord opened up a door for me to go serve a year in Montana. And, and it, was not, it was not a wilderness experience. But it was a time of proving. I wasn't miserable in Montana. I wasn't... Heartbroken in Montana, life wasn't bad in Montana. But as I look back at that time then, I could see that that year then was a proving ground. Had I come to a church like Fellowship before going to Montana, I would not have appreciated a church like Fellowship Baptist Church. God used that time in my life to to prove me, to test me, to prepare me and to teach me. And I'm so thankful for that year. Pastor Lydic, if you're listening, love you. For real, he was awesome. God may humble you, Christian, by keeping you at the same job and the same pay wage for a certain time to build into you a trust and dependence upon him and his word so that when the door does open for you to move up the ladder and earn more money, you're already well grounded in him in his word. So don't see those kinds of things as God's being mean to me or God's treating me unfairly. No, sometimes God just has to humble us to prove us, to teach us and to prepare us. God may humble you with an illness. Whether it's something minor or major. The sickness could teach you something to either take better care of your health or or to depend upon him if it's something that's insurmountable. God humbles us. I think of I think of Ali Champion. What's up, Ali? How you doing? Why do I think of Valley Champions? Well, if you know the champions, they came here from Oklahoma City. And we are thankful for them uh, to be in our church. They are a blessing. Okay? And, and I'm only saying that because they're here. I had other things to say. 
They were on vacation. Now they're back. And I'm also saying that because he's like six foot five and two forty five, and he'll kill me. Why do I think of that with Allie? Well, because she moves to Oklahoma City, or from Oklahoma City, rather, has a life there, has deep rooted friendships there, and now she's in liberal Kansas. She could think to herself, "This is a slap in the face from God," right? She could question, God, why are you doing this to me? Why did you remove me from my friends? Why are you making this happen in my life? God, you must not like me very much. Or she could see it as God humbling her and teaching her to rely on him. See, God sometimes has to humble us to prepare us and teach us. It could be that God humbles us the same way he humbled the Israelites. As a form of chastening. You see, Christian, when we are living apart from God, God has every right to take up his fatherly duties of chastening us and getting us back into place of his authority. Whenever God does humble us, it's never something we should be afraid of. God doesn't humble us just to get his pound of flesh out of us. He's not some tyrant dad in the sky that's wanting to make life miserable for us. No, he's doing it to prepare us and to teach us, to test our faith. Okay, we've talked about God's humbling of us. What about when life is good? What about when God's blessing is just all over our lives? We'll see in the second movement, praise from God's people is the expected overflow of enjoying His goodness. I want to say that one more time. Praise from God's people is the expected overflow to enjoying His goodness. Would you look at verse number 6? Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. Praise from God's people is the expected overflow of enjoying his goodness. God's humbling of the Israelites in the wilderness, get this now, his humbling of them in the wilderness was meant to prepare them to respond to him with praise when enjoying the goodness of the land. The land they're going to and the wilderness they're coming from couldn't be any more different, could it? In the wilderness, they had manna. And in the land, they will have the finest selection of food and nourishment they could ask for. 
It's like a broke college student. If you've ever been a broke college student, you're going to know what I'm talking about. A broke college student who goes to Walmart once a week to, for 75 cents, buy 35 bags of ramen noodles. (laughs) Some great value chips. Dr. R. And granola bars. And that broke college student, they enjoy that meal every night. They microwave it in the dorms, microwave. They fish out their chips. Sid, you know what I'm talking about, bro. They fish out their chips. They get their granola bar for dessert. And they drink their Dr. R. And man, life is good in college. Every day. And by the way, that mill is better than some colleges' mills in their cafeteria. That's why we buy the noodles. They do that all semester long, and then they go home for Thanksgiving break. And they walk into the dining room that afternoon, and what do they see? They see turkey and ham. And dressing, not stuffing, unless you put it in the bird. If you call it stuffing, you're a psychopath. (laughs) It's not in a bird, it's not stuffing. Dressing and corn and mashed taters and cranberry sauce and pecan pie. Yes, bless the Lord, I said pecan. (laughs) If you say pecan, you're wrong. And that, that college student just absolutely stuffs their face. They enjoy it. They go back for seconds and thirds and fourths and fifths. And they are just enjoying their time with this buffet of food. The wilderness, ramen noodles. The promised land, Thanksgiving Day buffet. That's what they're, that's what they're going into. Notice verse 11 one more time. Beware, or verse 10 rather. Verse 10, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee. Guys, what does this sound like? Guys, I'm talking to you. What does this sound like? Have you, has your wife ever made such a meal that after the meal, like three or four times before, before bedtime, you're like, oh, honey, that was just so good. That was just amazing. You did amazing on that. By the way, guys, if you're not doing that, maybe you should. It'd be good for you to do so. And that was, honey, honey, that was amazing. That was awesome. You got to cook this again. That's, that's what's going on here. He's saying when you come into the land and you taste and see that the Lord is good, the natural overflow is this. Oh, God, you're good. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for this wonderful place you've given us. It has all we need or could ever ask for. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We too should live with an attitude of praise to God for all the goodness in our life. Church, I want to challenge you. Cultivate a life of praise to God for His goodness. Like like literally, take time every day just to praise God for His goodness. It should be a regular pattern of our praying. 
and thanksgiving. Thank him for he's good. Ask yourself this. Are you safe in Christ? Praise him. Are you sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Praise him. Are you breathing? Praise him. Do you have shelter? Praise him. Do you have food? Praise him. Do you have work? Praise him. Do you have a family? Praise him. Do you have godly friends? Praise him. Do you have a church family? Praise him. The list could go on and on. Basically, what I'm trying to say is this. Every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father of lights. Every good thing you have in your life is from God. And we ought to praise Him for it. You see, praise, praise is the natural overflow of enjoying God's blessings in our life. Praise. But then... The failure to do so. The failure to give praise where praise is due is tragic. Look what failure to praise God for his goodness might lead to. Look at verse 11. We're going to read the rest of the chapter. It says, Beware. If you're a Bible marker, I would circle that word. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. How might that happen? In not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest, if you're a Bible marker, mark that word, lest. When thou hast eaten and art full. And hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, Who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna. Which thy fathers knew not that he might humble thee. And that he might prove thee to do thee good at the latter end. And thou say in thine heart. My power. My power. And the might of mine hand has gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, listen church, if it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish, as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face shall so perish. Why? Because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. The last thing we see tonight is that God's people, God's people are to follow him when times are good, lest they become proud, forsake God, and suffer the consequences. I want to say that one more time. God's people are to follow him when times are good, lest they become proud, forsake God, and suffer the consequences. 
The first thing we saw is they were to beware, not to forget God and not keeping his word. You see, the first sign, the very first sign that they had forgotten God would be that they stopped listening to and stop obeying his commands. It was the commands of God that would keep them faithful to him while they were enjoying the goodness of his blessings. There was one thing God said that will tether them to himself when life couldn't go any better. That one thing is this, the word of God. They were to beware. They continued obeying God because the second they stopped, it would be clear. It would be clear they were moving away from him. The second thing, they were to beware not to forget God in thinking. They were the ones that accomplished everything they were enjoying for themselves. They were to beware of the pride that comes with enjoying the blessings and comforts that came from the promised land. When times were good for them, the temptation for them would be to forget To absolutely forget all that God had brought them through in delivering them from exile. Do you see that? It seems like there's a pattern. Then when life is good, we forget the hard times. That was their temptation. Life is going to be so good that they're going to forget all that they had come through. Good times... Listen, good times, unless tethered to the word of God, good times have a way of making God's people soft and selfish if they don't keep God and his word in front of them. This is kind of a silly illustration, but I'm going to use it. I think one of the greatest Rockies is Rocky Three. My father-in-law and I disagree, but that's okay. Rocky Three is amazing, though. Right, Sid? Sometimes Sid and I will walk by each other, and I'll bump into him or something, and he'll say, I'll bust you up. And I'll say in the Rocky voice, go for it. <laughs> you know, like Clubber Lang, Rocky, you know the face? I'll go for it. That movie's great. We were in Oklahoma City for a basketball tournament, and we stayed in this Airbnb and we got Rocky Three going. None of the basketball girls had ever seen Rocky Three. And I'm telling you, within 15 minutes, they're all sitting there glued. Who'd have thunk? One of the girls, I'm not going to say who it was, thought Rocky was a real fighter. <laughs> like, like, hey, like, was he real? Like, Googling, like, how many championships did Rocky win? Like, no, he's fictitious, not real. But why, why does Mickey, why does Mickey advise Rocky not to fight Clubber Lang? He tells Rocky, you've gone soft. He's hungry. You're not. He tells Rocky, you've, you've forgotten, Rock, everything that it took to get you to this point. You're soft now. Don't fight him. He'll maul you. That's essentially what we're getting at here in the text. When you... Get into a time of life when, when these Israelites got into a time of life when things were going to be so good for them. Here's the temptation. They're going to forget all the hard times and all the proving and all the testing they went through. And they're going to get soft. And the consequence, as we'll see next, is they're going to be clobbered. So the third thing we see 
They need to beware lest they suffer the consequences of forgetting God. If they forget God, if they have the attitude and the mindset that look at all that we have done, look at the look at the homes we've built, look at the lands we've conquered, look at look at us. We are a people. And we did it by ourselves. Here's what God's saying. You're going to be right back where you were in the wilderness. Under my chastening. You're going to see all that I've done to the nations around you. And that very same thing is what I will do to you. Should you forget me and steal my glory. So what do we learn from this? Here's what we learn. If you don't take anything home at all, take this sentence. We should beware of forgetting God and his word when life is good. We should beware of forgetting God and his word when life is good. As weird as it might sound, it could be easier at times for Christians to seek the Lord more, to lean on the Lord more, and trust the Lord more when times are bad, right? Like, like, what are the options do I have? It's usually not the good times of life that drive us into humble submission to God, is it? It's the bad times. It's when God breaks us and, and empties us and, and uh, uh, causes us to see our own inner bankruptcy that produces a return and a new love and fire for the Lord, right? The bad times cause us to say, okay, Lord, you got my attention. I'll listen. I don't want to be chasing anymore. I'll listen. I don't want to go through this anymore. I'll listen. I recognize I can't do this anymore. I'll listen. I'll get back into your word. I'll start praying again. I'll start being more faithful in church. I'll start tithing again. I'll witness again. I'll treat my spouse better. I'll treat my kids better. God, I surrender to you. It's usually the bad times that cause that, right? I know in my own life, that's usually the time when I'm ready to get down and surrender. When things aren't going so well. But this text is not encouraging us to return to God when times are bad. It's encouraging us to keep following him when times are good. So we need to beware of three things when life is good. Number one, we need to beware that we don't forget God and his word. It'll be tempting it will be tempting to think we don't need God and his word when life is good. When life is good, the alarm clock is much easier to snooze. It will be tempting when life is good to think you can relax a little bit from your dedication to Jesus. When the health is good, when the bank account is steady, when the marriage is in sync, when the relationships with your kids are right or family members, or friends, or co-workers, when those relationships are good, here's what you should do. Stay close to God, and stay close to His Word. Can I just ask you a personal question? We're almost a quarter into the year. You still in His Word? I'm not trying to condemn anyone, or embarrass anyone. I just want to encourage you. Get back in it. And not just the mere reading of the word. He doesn't just call them the mere reading of the word. He says, 
When you forget me and you begin to disobey my word, that's how I'll know. Stay close to the word when times are good. Number two, beware of the pride that comes from living in good times. When life is good, you'll start to see yourself as the star of the show. That's the temptation anyways. We'll start to think it's because of my hard work or my faithfulness to God that is bringing about all these blessings. Not true, friend. It's not because of you. It's not because of me. It's not because of how devoted you are to God that brings about God's blessings in your life. No, you don't work and earn God's blessings. Just like my son doesn't work and earn blessings from me. It's got nothing to do with us, church. It has everything to do with him. And then number three, here's here's the last one. Number three, you must know that if you forsake God and his word and allow pride to creep in and start claiming glory for yourself, chastening will come. Chastening will come. God will do whatever he needs to do to get your attention and to get my attention to humble us, to get us back in a place of humble submission. If he needs to take something away, he will. If he needs to take a relationship away, he will. If he needs to send some sort of trial into our lives, he will. He will do whatever it takes to get our attention whenever we are drifting away from him. That's it. Beware of forgetting God in his word when life is good. Beware. Can we have our band come up? Tonight I just want to have a a time of praise. A time of praise and thanksgiving. For you who would say tonight, oh, life is good. Praise him for that. And say, God, I'm going to honor you while life is good. And for those whose life is not so good right now, say, God, I'm going to honor you while life's not so good. And when life does get good, I'm going to keep on honoring you and loving you. Friends, let's praise God tonight. That he loves us so much, he isn't willing to leave us as we are. Instead, he tests us, he teaches us, and he prepares us. Let's praise God tonight that even on this earth, this old, crepid, withering away, dying earth, this earth that's waiting for the Son of God to return, even on this earth, he gives us blessings to enjoy. Let's praise him for that. Praise God that he's given us a way of remaining close to him when times are good. By abiding in His Son and abiding in His Word. And let's praise Him tonight that He's willing to do whatever it takes to get us back to Him. Let's praise Him. So, would you set your heart tonight to not just cry out for God and His grace during the tough times, but during the good times? Would you endeavor not to just stick close to the Lord when you need uh, Him to work on your behalf, but also when life is good and it seems like you don't need anything? Would you continue relying on him when it seems like you have everything under control? Would you stay plugged in into learning and obeying his word in good times of life? Church, will you praise the Lord with me tonight? Would you stand?